0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic brought to you by Syngenta. More than 26,000 people in over 90 countries who are helping the world's farmers grow more from less. Syngenta believes that farmers can produce enough to meet the world's needs and safeguard our planet if we link technology, land and people. The foundation of a sustainable production system Focusing on strong rural economies and resource efficiency. See all they're doing at Syngenta.com. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Jack Roney, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Uh, Thank you, Ken. You're the Director of Economics and Policy Analysis for the American Sugar Alliance. What is the relationship of the Alliance to the sugar producing and refining industry?
1: We are the umbrella group for all the American producers, uh, farmers, uh, processors, and refiners of uh, sugarcane, sugar beets.
0: There's no doubt that your end product is well received by people in this country and used extensively in many products of our foods. The question is whether or not the sugar policy that's in effect at this time is one that we can continue to support or one that we can continue to afford. How do you respond to that?
1: Well, the U.S. sugar policy is really in a better position than many other commodity programs because we are a no-cost policy. There have been no payments uh, to American sugar producers, uh, no costs are on the program since the early 2000s. And so that is a situation that uh, we, we relish and that we're, we're very happy to, uh, to point to to defend our, our policy. So that really does make us less vulnerable to budget cuts than other commodity programs might be.
0: How do you say that it's a no-cost program uh, to the government? Uh, how do you make it to where there is zero cost?
1: Well, there are absolutely no payments to U.S. producers. There are no direct payments, no countercyclical payments, uh, no loan deficiency payments. There's no marketing loan program. Uh, all we have is a non-recourse loan program uh, that operates in such a way that uh, we are able to repay our loans with interest year after year. Uh, so we do take out those operating loans. We pay them back with interest. And so there's, therefore, no cost to the government.
0: But would there not be some type of tariff imposed on sugar that's imported into this country?
1: Yes, uh, there are tariffs, and that's the key aspect of of the U.S. sugar policy. Uh, Let me just go into a little bit of background, and that is about the world sugar market. Uh, The world sugar market is uh, the most distorted commodity market uh, in in the world, and it's the most volatile. Uh, That's because of the 120 countries that produce sugar around the world, every one of them, intervene in the marketplace, or uh, governments intervene in the marketplace either to help farmers or to help consumers, or in some cases both. And as a result of that government intervention, many of these countries produce surpluses that they just don't need in their country, so they dump those on the world market. And so we've seen situations where uh, for years at a time, for decades at a time, the world sugar price, as it's called, uh, was actually... Uh, as little as half the actual actual world average cost of producing sugar. So what you find around the world is that every country that has a sugar-producing industry has some kind of buffer uh, to that world dump market so that their producers would have a chance to compete and survive relative to uh, other farmers or uh, government subsidies. I think this is very important. Among 95 sugar-producing countries or regions in the world, the United States is the 20th lowest cost. I think that's all the more impressive because we are operating as a developed country, sugar producer. Most countries that produce sugar are developing countries, and they, of course, have much, much lower uh, labor costs and environmental standards and protections than we have. So we're justifiably proud of the fact that we uh, attain a low cost of production. We're among the lowest cost producers in the world, even while we are treating our workers well, and safely, and we are treating our environment very responsibly.
0: Mr. Roney, in an era when we are having more trade agreements, multilateral and bilateral, especially NAFTA, doesn't that make it where a single program that has a tariff is much harder to keep in effect?
1: Well, the, there certainly is a pressure globally to reduce uh, tariffs around the world, and We're actually supportive of the WTO goal of uh, eliminating all barriers to trade in sugar, uh, achieving the the proverbial level playing field because we are competitive by world standards and we we could compete in a world absent subsidies. We What we would find would be that the world price would rise to finally consistently reflect the cost of producing sugar. Our cost of production are below the world average and we would be just fine. But what would be suicidal... Would be for any country that has a, uh, a decent uh, sugar-producing uh, uh, industry to eliminate their tariffs or their their buffers to the world market, and what would happen is that uh, that they would just be annihilated by subsidized exports. So unilateral disarmament essentially would be would be suicidal. So we're in favor of uh, of elimination of barriers to trade in sugar, just so it's every country and every barrier that's eliminated.
0: There are people for programs and there are people against them. And uh, the industrial sugar users in this country appear to be very much against this sugar program. Why is that?
1: Well, the perception of the uh, sugar-using industry is that they want to have access to the cheapest possible sugar. And it has been irksome to them that uh during two thousand and ten and two thousand eleven uh, world sugar prices shot up to their highest levels in thirty years, and u s prices uh, went up along with them, as did sugar prices in every country that produces sugar and so this has been for the sweetener users uh an unfortunate uh, development it has uh, raised their cost of production uh, for our producers it has been uh, a godsend, albeit a temporary one because we had been laboring under the same nominal prices for sugar during the 1980s, during the 1990s, during the 2000s. Uh, during that entire period we were getting on average only about 22 cents per pound of raw sugar. And the, the respite that we had in 10 and 11 uh, gave our producers a chance, uh, the ones who had survived, uh, gave them a chance to begin to buy down their debt and reinvest in their operations. Unfortunately, we're already back down to those historic levels. Prices right now are right back down to 22.5 cents. So we're back at the levels we were in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. I might mention also that since the mid-1980s, we've lost half of all our sugar-producing operations. Uh, they Many of our producers just couldn't... Uh, stay alive when the real price they receive for their sugar is dropping by about 50% over, the, over these past uh, three decades.
0: What has made the value of sugar go up in this 2010 and 2011 time period?
1: Well, what caused the increase in sugar prices globally in 2010 and 2011 was the coincidence of bad crops in several of the major sugar-producing countries, such as India, Brazil, Thailand, and Australia. Uh, all had the coincidence of bad crops around the same time. At the same time that globally we were having some bad crops, uh, we're also finding that consumers uh, in the United States and elsewhere uh, were rediscovering the the value of sugar as an all-natural sweetener. And so we continue to have very strong demand uh, for sugar uh, in the U.S. And, and other countries. So those factors combined to push the price up. Now, what's happened since, of course, is this is agriculture and It's a typical cycle, and because of the strong prices of the last couple of years, and also because we're seeing some better weather in the U.S. and Mexico and other countries, Uh, this is why we've seen world prices drop back down, and U.S. prices are dropping back down as well.
0: Looking at contributions that agricultural groups are giving in PAC money to Congress, AgriPulse has highlighted that the sugar producers are at the top of the list. How do you justify making those kind of expenditures to senators and representatives?
1: Well, I think that what is important when anyone looks at contributions to Congress by the sugar producers is to look at contributions by the sugar users. Um, uh, Oddly enough, a lot of folks focus on the producers, and they don't look at the other side of that coin. And what we found historically, uh, when we have looked at this, or uh, I recall a study the Congressional Quarterly did uh, one time, they found that the sweetener users—you know, these are major corporations, of course, with deep pockets—spend uh, at a pace that's two to three times what uh, U.S. producers do. So, to a large extent, we're trying to respond to the very, uh, the very heavy uh, uh, lobbying, the very aggressive lobbying. Uh, by our opponents uh, to to try to help to ensure uh, our livelihoods.
0: Mr. Roney, the users of sugar are very opposed to the program that we have now for supporting the sugar industry in the United States. Give me a scenario if we had no sugar program at all and no tariff on any sugar coming into the United States, what would happen?
1: Well, I think what we would see would be a short-term and a long-term effect, and those would be very different. And we actually have evidence of what would happen in uh, what just occurred in the European Union in the 1995 uh, 96 period. They decided that they should uh, reduce the uh, production by their own uh, producers. Uh, they're, uh, most years they're about the second biggest sugar-producing uh, region in the world and uh rely more on foreign producers so they reduced their uh prices by 36% uh, unilaterally and the consequence in the short run was that uh prices of uh, uh, sugar prices in the EU dropped dramatically uh they lost uh, uh several uh i believe it was about 80 uh, sugar uh, operations closed they lost about 120,000 jobs and uh, their production uh, dropped by about seven million tons, and uh, at the same time, uh, sweetener users uh, we notice were not passing along to consumers uh, any savings that the uh, retail price of sugar and the products continued to go up in the European union, so there was a short term benefit for the the sweetener users and uh, uh, Tremendous harm to producers and no no change in how consumers uh, were, were faring. But subsequent to that, uh, as the European Union then became much more dependent on on uh, world market sugar, uh, that sugar did not materialize, that uh, the EU price dropped below the world price and no one wanted to sell their sugar to the EU. And we actually had shortages uh, of sugar in the EU. There were even reports of rationing of sugar in Germany, which we had not heard of since World War II. And, uh, in order to attract the sugar and fill that gap, prices in the EU shot up. So where we are now is that the prices of, uh, producer prices for sugar and consumer prices for sugar in the European Union, uh, are about 10% higher than they were before uh, the vaunted reform. So, um, that's not, you know, here I'm not just theorizing. I'm, I'm telling you exactly what's happened in the EU. And we would expect that a similar situation will unfold here, that in the short run, our prices would uh, plunge. Uh, We'd be getting subsidized sugar from uh, Brazil and other uh, producers who um, produce their vast amounts of sugar with with various government uh, uh, programs and subsidies, and that our producers would go out of business. We would become permanently more dependent on the world market, and then we would be really vulnerable to the vagaries of the world sugar market, which, as I mentioned, is the most uh, most volatile in the world. So, uh, the, subsequently, I think we would see sweetener users, depending instead of on uh, the train load of sugar from uh, from North Dakota, that they'd be uh, looking, waiting for the slow boat from from Brazil for their sugar. Uh, it would probably not be as high quality as they're accustomed to. Uh, they'd be uh, charging. Uh, the, uh, they would be paying more for their sugar than they had been before and charging consumers more for their products. So uh, it would be a short-term uh, gain to uh, one small segment of the population, that would be the swing user companies, uh, but long-term harm to rural America with a loss of sugar-producing jobs and to consumers uh, in the sense that they'd be paying more for a less reliable and probably less safe product we're not really looking at any kind of consumption mandates uh you know, we feel as though uh, we're in an excellent position with the uh you know the best tasting uh lowest calorie natural sweetener uh that there is and that the cons- that the, the demand for sugar will always be there uh what we just want to do is have the chance to to survive and provide that sugar uh, to our, our American consumers and our customers, uh, without having to be uh, put out of business by subsidized foreign producers, our industry generates 142,000 jobs uh, across the country and about uh, $10 billion a year in economic activity. So it's a it's a large and important industry, and it's one that is particularly critical to rural areas where sugar is the is the major uh, the major employer. Uh, there's even importance of uh, the sugar industry in some urban areas where we have cane refineries uh, that are a very important source of, uh, of, of jobs uh, for those urban areas.
0: Jack Roney, thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Uh, thank you for having me, Ken. This AgriPulse Open Mic was brought to you by Syngenta, which is helping the world's farmers grow more from less while safeguarding our planet. As a technology innovator, Syngenta is doing its part by developing integrated solutions with crop production, seeds, and seed care. See all they're doing at Syngenta.com. I'm Ken Root.